0: I'm Michelle. I'm one of the team here. And this morning, I get to continue our series More Than a Name. As we begin this morning, let's remind ourselves of the scripture we are looking at throughout the series. So, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, it's Exodus 34, but the words will appear on the screen. And so, Moses is there with the two stone tablets waiting as the Lord descends in a cloud. And from Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, we read, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children, for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Over the last two weeks, Paul has done an amazing job at unpacking the first few words of that passage. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim. And so if you've missed one of the weeks or both of them, um, I highly recommend taking a listen or even a second listen. Um, And so check out the podcast. They're really worth listening to. A quote um, that Paul read when he kicked off the series from Old Testament scholar Michael Knowles says, In the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. And so as we look at the name that is above all names, let's look at it as being a description of who he is, his character, rather than just a label or a title he has been given. And today we're going to start with compassionate and gracious. But before we do, let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we hear your word today would you take us on a journey? Father, that we would not only understand your word and understand who you are, but we would experience you more. Come and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was given the title of today's message, I couldn't help but sing in the song, The Lord is Gracious and Compassionate. It's a worship song that was recorded by Vineyard Records back in the late 90s and one that seems to have stood the test of time. We still sing it today. The song is based on the words of Psalm 103 and it echoes our passage in Exodus. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The song was written a few years before it was ever recorded I think in around 1990 and was one of the first songs that I sung when I started going to church and at the time the guy who wrote it, Graham Ord, was a member of that church and so as I kept singing it rather than actually work on my sermon um, I thought I'd drop him a message and ask him the story behind the song. This is what he said. I wrote the song whilst reading the Psalms. The tune came into my head, so I sat at the piano and wrote the song. The next day, I sang it in devotions at the Bible school I was at. Someone there was traveling to Uganda the next day and asked to take it with them. And the song became popular in Africa many years before it was ever recorded. There's no special significance regarding the inspiration, But the song has taught me a lot over the years about who God is. I didn't really understand it at the time, but it's clearer now I've lived a bit. As Graham said, he didn't fully understand that aspect of God's character, that the person he was worshipping was compassionate and gracious. We are often the same. We read words without understanding them. And we sing worship songs without fully grasping what we're singing about a loving, compassionate, gracious God may seem a bit like a fairy tale for some. It can be difficult to comprehend God whose heart is always for us rather than being angry at us. So what do we think when we think of God? I was listening to a podcast recently and the guy asked his congregation how they pictured God wanting to know how they believed God would respond if he was standing in front of them. Obviously, I can't see how many people responded, but he commented that such a small number of people there um, considered God as responding to them in a gentle, loving, kind way. And that's sad. This morning, we are going to look at the story of Jonah. And so this is um, Sunday school, not that I went to Sunday school, but story of the guy who ended up in the belly of a whale um, but shows beautifully the character of God. It's a short book, only four chapters, so it doesn't take long to read if you want to take a look later. We're going to skip through it, um, a couple of verses, so the um, words are going to appear on the screen Jonah is classed as a minor prophet. But in his book, there's not actually a lot of prophecy. There's just one sentence, which appears in chapter 3, verse 4, and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. After initially not wanting to go and even running in the opposite direction, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh with this message God has given him. Nineveh was a brutal place. At the time, it was considered one of the most dangerous places on earth, a huge, powerful city, the stronghold of the Assyrian Empire. And here was Jonah being asked to go and tell a nation of psychotic, rampaging, violent people that the, God, that the Lord didn't like what they were doing. I think no wonder he ran in the opposite direction. But what started as Jonah not wanting to go to these people ends up being the clearest, most beautiful demonstration of God's love and mercy for all. Jonah goes to Nineveh with the message that 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the response of the people comes as a total surprise. The Assyrians immediately obey. The king declares a fast and a day of repentance and prayer and he says to the people who knows god may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish and that's exactly what god does jonah 3 continues when god saw what they did when god saw what they did how they turned from their evil way god relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it good news But Jonah's not happy. He's not impressed. He's actually rather annoyed. And I can just imagine Jonah being like a a little child and flopping to the ground in a big sulk. And in verse uh, verse 2 of Jonah 4, he says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So really, Jonah knew it all along. God's love is outrageous. The Lord is a gracious, merciful God. He can't be any other way. That's who he is. And even though the people of Nineveh deserve punishment, they respond to God's word and he shows them love. And so this story shows us that no one is beyond the reach of God's love and forgiveness. That even though they seem so far from salvation, God, rather than being harsh and judgmental, shows them who he really is. And to remind us, this is who he says he is the Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. When the name of the Lord is revealed to Moses, the first characteristics, the very first way he describes himself is by saying he is compassionate and gracious. In Hebrew, the most important part of the sentence, in most cases, will come first. And so knowing God as compassionate, And gracious is foundational. These words are hugely significant when it comes to us getting to know who God is. God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. These words were and are life-changing. And in the world at the time they were first said, when Moses stood at the foot of Mount Sinai and God proclaimed them, they would have been mind-blowing for moses and the people to hear at this time about 1500 bc the world was filled with gods little g these gods were mean-spirited gods and they demanded things like child sacrifice the people lived in fear of them and in exodus 34 god is himself is reminding moses that he is the god of his ancestors the creator God, the God that from the very beginning wanted relationship with his people. They're important verses. And so these words, compassionate and gracious, are often quoted together as a pair. And not only do they sound alike in Hebrew, which I will give a go in a minute, um, they are mutually illuminating. They actually explain each other. And so... Here's my try at Hebrew, Um, you have Rahum, which is compassionate, and Hanun, which is gracious. My Hebrew pronunciation comes thanks to Blue Letter Bible, which is a brilliant website if you want to break down the text and have a look at what Greek and Hebrew words mean. There's also a little button on there that gives you how they are pronounced, which is super helpful. Don't go and check, because I might have got them wrong. (laughs) So, Rahum and Hanun, compassionate and gracious. But what do they mean? Compassionate means to love deeply, to have mercy, to have tender affection towards someone. It's from the root word meaning female womb. Rahum is a feeling word, like the emotion a mother has towards her child. It's nurturing, caring, comforting. We see in Isaiah 49 the heart of a compassionate God. It says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. There's another story in the Bible about two women fighting over a child, and both claiming that they're its mother. You can read it in 1 Kings 3. And to find out who the true mother is, King Solomon suggests cutting the baby in half, and immediately the real mother yells no. That's compassion. Moved with the love for her child, she can't allow him to die. It's If that's how a parent feels for a child, how much greater Father God's compassion for us. Gracious is different. It's more of an action word. Rather than feeling, it's about showing favor and grace. It's something you do. It's helping someone out in a time of need. It's like David's prayer in Psalm 86. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your, servant, give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. David is asking for God to rescue, for God to come and save him from danger. Gracious is Father God coming to the rescue of his kids, to us, by sending his son, Jesus. These two words... Compassionate and gracious are linked together to show us what Yahweh is like. He is our perfect heavenly parent, nurturing, caring, encouraging, responsive. But the truth of God being compassionate and gracious can be hard to take in. It's hard to fully believe it, especially when we have done wrong, which we all do. For some, probably more than we think, outside the church, but also within the Christian community, there can be a tendency to see God as mad, distant, someone who only speaks to tell us off. We all mess up, do things wrong, say harsh words, but God doesn't come to condemn us. He forgives and cleanses us from our sin. We need to know God as compassionate and gracious so we can come to him in our shame and brokenness and repent rather than wanting to run away and hide. But what about God being compassionate and gracious to those who have wronged us? Is it okay for God to be compassionate and gracious to the so-called friend who hurt you deeply by telling lies about you? Or maybe someone tried to shame you in front of your friends or colleagues. What about the person who abused you or your child? Is it okay for God to show the same mercy, the same compassion, the same grace towards them? Jesus instructed his disciples to love your enemies. And he continues in Luke Chapter 6, to say, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. That last sentence, be merciful, even as your father is merciful, tells us how we are to respond. We are to respond as God responds. And his response to those who love him and to those who are against him or indifferent to him is based on his mercy, on his character, on him being a compassionate and gracious God. I love stories of people who have met God in powerful, life-changing ways. And Jack Frost, that is his name, writes in his book, Experiencing Father's Embrace, about how he saw God and how his view of him changed. He says, religion has misrepresented the nature of Father God and portrayed him to be something he is not. The idea that Father is the vengeful arm of the Trinity and that Jesus is the compassionate one pleading for our undeserved pardon is not just harmful to our relationship with God, but it runs totally contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus came to demonstrate who the Father is and what he is like. To gain a true picture of Father's feelings towards his children, it's best to turn to the one whose purpose it was to show us the Father. And so, to do that, we're going to look at one of the stories Jesus told, one of the parables. It's found in Luke 15, and it's the well known account of who, having asked for his inheritance from his Father, the son squanders it, wasting it on wild and sinful living. The son, the younger of two brothers, showed his father no respect. In the culture of the time, to ask for your inheritance before a person had passed away was basically saying, I wish you were dead. The other son, the older brother, is a proud legalistic person who always wants to be seen as doing right. And much like Jonah in the story earlier, expected there to be punishment for sin and rebellion, and wasn't happy when his father responded to his brother in the way he did. This parable, often called the parable of the lost son in our Bibles, could be about either son. On the one hand, there is a child who walked away from the father, And on the other hand, a child who didn't really know who his father was. But really, it's not just a parable about two sons. It's about a father. A father who shows love, mercy and grace towards his children. Both sons had done things wrong. They had acted in a way that would have been insulting to their father, which warranted discipline but rather than give up on the younger son or shout and shame him as he returns home, the father watches out and runs to greet him. And the older son, he doesn't get annoyed or rebuke him. He affirms him, son, you are always with me. This father feels compassion for his boys, embracing them, speaking in love to them. And we also see his graciousness in action, covering the son's shame with a robe as he welcomes him back into the family. I think it's easy when reading the Old Testament to um, see God's actions as rather cold and hard. But what we see is a God who is constant in his desire to make a way back into relationship with himself. God's character doesn't change. He, as the father in the story, is compassionate and gracious. Always was. Always will be. A few years ago, the Holy Spirit gave me a picture during worship. It was like a video playing out before my eyes. And I saw a door, like um, one of those large doors on old Georgian houses, And I knew it led into a beautiful reception room with Father God sitting. The door was open. People could enter at any time. They didn't have to wait to be invited or for their name to be called out. But they weren't going in. Outside was a long line of people people I recognized as being Christians, those who believed in God and would say they had a relationship with him it. But for some reason, they didn't feel they could enter the room where he was. And this broke me. I wanted to grab hold of their hands and take them into the presence of Father God. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love. And we can come to him at any time. The door is always open. And he would greet us with open arms, as a father would a child. When Paul spoke two weeks ago, he mentioned a quote from A.W. Tozer, a pastor and author in the early mid-20th century. Tozer said, What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our theology of God sets the trajectory of our lives. If we believe him angry and absent, we live in a place of fear and loneliness. If we see him as loving and kind, we live in freedom and acceptance. Above all, God is relational and wants us to know him. Nothing holds greater power to transform our inner lives than when God speaks to us and the words he says touch our heart and bring revelation of who he is. And that's what I believe he wants to do this morning. He wants us as individuals to meet him in that deeper way. And so if you are able, if you want to join me in standing At the end of the the worship, there was a a real sense that God was speaking. Um, And the words seemed to to come together to to draw us into that that invitation um, that God wants to make this morning. That invitation and that remembrance of our royal heritage that we do get to come to him, that the door is open to us that invitation to say yes to him and he will do immeasurably more. That he is the one that can rebuild the rubble that we see that our lives is and that he is the solid ground that we stand on. And that even if you're feeling weak, you can come to him. And so, Father, as we stand in your presence would you speak your truth and your word to each one of us? What you would want us to hear, what you have to say to each one of us. Father, I thank you that you are a compassionate and gracious God, one that, that leans towards us with love and kindness, and one that, that calls us out and challenges us stands with us that we never feel alone Holy Spirit come